to have you here. And thanks for checking in. Uh, oh, by the way, in Bugs Day, the Hour of Rage, we didn't get to the story that's got a lot of people on Coffee Road chatting today. So, Nickelback will be at Country Thunder, Craven, next summer, 2024. The last time Nickelback was at Craven was back in 02 when it was called Rock in the Valley. There was that little brief period that the country music of Big Valley uh, and now Country Thunder, there was a brief period in there where it was called Rock in the Valley. Nickelback is really by no means a country band, but I've pulled my horns in over the years. I used to be on that whole pile on Nickelback thing when it was fashionable to do so. But what the heck? Nickelback's got staying power. Uh, you still enjoy. I mean, Photograph's a great song among the catalog. So more power to them if you can end up on the bill at Country Thunder, which will, of course, have uh, country superstar Luke Combs there, which will be a huge draw. Well, good on the Kroger boys and uh, all else for Nickelback. Well, we have a ton of stuff to get to in this hour of the radio program. I promise you later this hour, I will play you an excerpt of Travis Kelsey's Christmas song. Travis Kelsey, who you just used to know as a tight end with the Kansas City Chiefs until he began dating the incredible Taylor Swift. So and now he's recorded this song. Guy's got great pipes. His brother Jason's a good singer with the Eagles. Travis Kelsey, brand new Christmas song. Okay, to start the hour, uh, this is a story that does not get much attention, sadly, and of course it is a commentary more, I think, on the media and the times in which we live. Uh, do you remember Carolyn Strom, who we talked to and about for the longest time? A registered nurse who uh, was expressing frustration at a nursing home where her grandpa was, and it got a bit heated. She lipped off, and she talked about the quality of care that her grandpa was receiving, some nurses there reported her to the College of Registered Nurses for acting unprofessionally. And any of us who are regulated, I'm regulated as a lawyer by Law Society of Saskatchewan and Alberta, there are questions of a lack of professional conduct that occasionally will arise. The courts have helped clarify this, and they certainly did in the Strom case uh, when that one went to the Court of Appeal. But there's another Saskatchewan nurse named Leah McInnes who is presently before the College of Registered Nurses of Saskatchewan, accused of professional misconduct, and it relates to the pandemic. And even though it's now behind us, it was two to three pretty odd years. And some things went on that I think with the benefit of hindsight, we look at and say, was this really appropriate behavior? So what was it that Leah McInnes did that would make her worthy of sanction. Her lawyer is Glenn Blackett, who is a counsel with a group called Charter Advocates Canada, uh, based in Calgary, and that's where we find uh, Glenn Blackett this morning. Glenn, thanks so much for taking our call. Good to have you here. Yeah, thank you very much. No worries. Um, what is the charge against your client, and how did this arise? Well, you said that she's charged with um, unprofessionalism. That's the basic concept. Specifically, she's charged mostly with misinformation of various sorts. Or that's the allegation that she misinformed the public about various COVID-related things. And so the claim is that she was unprofessional for that reason. So what exactly did she do? Is there a disagreement on the actual acts that she, she partook of, if, if any? 
No, it's pretty obvious what happened because she posted everything on social media, so you just, you just have to read it. Um, but uh, it's, uh, you know, if, uh, basically the, the, the primary charge is that she used the term vaccine mandate. Um, and by using the term vaccine mandate, allegedly, uh, she would have tricked some Saskatchewanites into believing that the government was going to arrive at the door, hold them down, and stuff them with a needle. Okay, so she objected to what she called vaccine mandates. Well, she objected to them, yeah, but the charge is not so much that she objected. It's that she used the term. It's that she called the the policies across the country vaccine mandates. Mm. And the charge by the, by the college is that that is misinformation. Use of the term vaccine mandate is misinformation. Wow. But yeah, she was definitely critical of the, of the policies themselves. Okay, was she opposed to people taking vaccines? Uh, no, I mean, not that I know of. It, it wasn't apparent from her social media posts. I mean, I, I think part of the allegation is that she would have discouraged people taking vaccines based on what she said. I don't, you know, personally, if I look at her posts, I don't see that any reasonable person would look at all that and decide, well, I'm not going to get vaccinated. But, um, yeah, that wasn't her. Her focus was not to encourage people to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. In fact, she emphasized, you know, the importance of vaccines during the pandemic for various purposes. Um, rather, her concern was just about uh, informed consent and, and medical coercion that undermined, in her view, informed consent. Okay, because she apparently had posted that vaccines could decrease disease, reduce burden on the healthcare system, and would play a role in the fight against covid but she opposed the idea that there was this requirement, and certainly with the vaccine passports that came out, that you had to demonstrate that was her opposition? That's right. Okay. So by using the words vaccine mandate, she had behaved unprofessionally. Now, does this come as uniquely because she's a nurse? The, the nursing regulators thought people would put a certain weight on her words? Yeah, that's the argument. Yeah, and it, and I should clarify, it was. I mean, that's the primary charge that she used the term vaccine mandate. There's a number of other kind of subsidiary charges about misinformation she supposedly posted on her social media page, including things like vaccines don't provide sterile immunity. Um, the one that you referenced, that uh, the, the vaccine's greatest job during the pandemic is to reduce basically burden on the healthcare system and reduce serious illness and death, but not so much to reduce transmission of the illness in the community, which, you know, she posted that in both September of 2021. And by December of 2021, it was clear to anyone that was paying attention that she was dead right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all, as as the knowledge of the science evolved, we were all told at the beginning, uh, the first wave of, of vaccinations, you would neither contract the virus, nor would you be able to pass it along or spread it. Both of those, of course, within a year, became, or six months even, became completely incorrect. Right. So, yeah, and I mean, yeah, and it was, it was obvious. I mean, it wasn't completely obvious, perhaps, to many, but, you know, there was science to indicate that there was, you know, breakthrough, I think, understates what was happening in August and September. There weren't breakthrough cases. It was just, it was becoming clear that, you know, vaccines were effective at some things, but they weren't effective at other things. And they didn't seem to be terribly effective at making sure uh, you didn't get or give other people COVID.
Glenn Black at Council with Charter Advocates Canada in Calgary representing Saskatchewan nurse Leah McInnes. So where is this at presently in terms of the disciplinary proceedings? So we ran uh, a hearing in early November. Um, we put in our arguments, and then we had some uh, uh, kind of closing oral arguments that started last week, and they're going to continue on November 28th at 6.30 p.m., believe it or not. Um, but it's open to the public as well. So if people are interested in hearing what's going on, they can go on to the CRNS website, I, I believe at this point or shortly, and register for, uh, for t- to, um, to, to, to tune in. Okay, and that's the College of, of Registered Nurses of Saskatchewan, which is the disciplinary body. That's right. So, so what are the possible sanctions that flow? I mean, if they find, uh, particularly on the uh, professional misconduct charge, what can happen to her? Well, I mean, they. Uh, good question. I mean, so we're we're in a stage right now where we we're not in the sanctioning stage. We're first at the you know part of the trial where we determine if she's guilty. Um, and then we have a sanctioning stage. But, um, you know, one of the primary sanctions against a nurse would be to suspend her license or to, or to revoke it, um, which is, you know, bad enough. Uh, but I think right now uh, Leah is not practicing as a registered nurse and, and maybe doesn't have any immediate plans to do that. Um, the perhaps the more onerous burden on her would be to pay costs for the hearing. You know, there's... A lot of lawyers involved and a lot of people involved, and so there's significant costs. And if she has to, if she has to foot the bill for all of that, that could be, you know, ruinous to to a registered nurse. Now, one of the again, you talked about the uh, different underlying and the different sort of subsidiary claims. Uh, did she also she also attended one of those national rallies? Did she on this issue? Yes, I think she. I think she attended at least one and maybe two or three. Okay, so does this then, by attendance at the rally, is that then alleged to be unprofessional conduct? Uh, not directly. The allegation is that she, <laughs> again, she held up a sign that said "RN against vaccine mandates," and so the okay. the allegation is not that she attended a rally, um, but rather that she attended a rally while representing to the public who would apparently rely on this misinformation that there were, in fact, vaccine mandates in the in the country. Well, the allegation is she was only talking about Saskatchewan, but she clearly was talking about the rest of the country. But anyway, the the idea is that by saying that she was going to mislead people somehow. Now, the Strom case, which we followed pretty closely here, Carolyn Strom, who has now since resurfaced as an NDP provincial candidate, um, the Court of Appeal states criticism, even by those delivering health services, does not necessarily undermine confidence in healthcare workers or the healthcare system. Indeed, it can enhance confidence by demonstrating that those with the greatest knowledge of this massive and opaque system and who have the ability to affect change are prepared and permitted to speak and pursue positive change. Pretty clear language from our Court of Appeal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, it's which is not to say that there isn't a place for, you know, potentially sanctioning a, a nurse for, for speech, including where the speech relates to, you know, the healthcare system itself. I mean, in the case of Strom, um, Ms. Strom, I think the reason that she kind of got off the hook there was because it would have been pretty obvious to people paying attention to, to the, to the, to the post that she was, a grieving granddaughter, I believe. You yeah. know, so there was kind of an isolated outburst of emotional unhappiness, and the 
and the court thought that the court of appeal thought that that's something that the college should have taken into consideration. You know, in, in Miss McInnes's scenario, things are completely different. But I'd say all the more important in 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 Leah's case, in Miss McInnes's case, that that the college not suppress her speech because. You know, she was doing what we believe she's required to do under her code, which is if she sees an ethical problem, a medical ethical problem, and, you know, there's no greater medical ethical problem for most practitioners than an absence of informed consent, her job is to speak up. So if a nurse can't really speak up, then that sort of undermines the the moral community that the College of Registered Nurses of Saskatchewan purports to sustain. Lawyer Glenn Blackett. So uh, oral arguments wrap up next week, uh, Tuesday, and or will it go longer than that? I sure hope so. I mean, we're starting at 6.30, so we'll, <laughs> we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, I think they should wrap up next week, and then, and then uh, you know, a few weeks or months, we'll, we'll have a decision. Thanks for taking the time this morning. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much. Mr. Blackett joining us in Calgary, co-counsel for Leah McInnes. Uh, the Saskatchewan nurse charged with uh, unprofessional conduct. And her case is before the College of Registered Nurses of Saskatchewan, the CRNS. And uh, oral arguments in closing wrap up next week. And that's because she objected. And the weird part was her posts actually went on to say vaccines could decrease severe disease, reduce burden on the healthcare system, play a role in the COVID pandemic, Except her concern was the idea that you were being mandated or pushed to do this and the question of informed consent. So that was where the fine, or maybe not so fine line, uh, exists. And we will see, does the CRNS sanction her for that and find that uh, that was a lack of professional conduct? I'm John Gormley. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Interesting enough, uh, what did our Liberal Party in Saskatchewan change its name to? The Progress Party, right? Yeah. Uh, it would be really hard being a Saskatchewan Liberal, and frankly has been since jo- since Pierre Elliott Trudeau's times, when the old joke was when, you tend to forget this, Ralph Goodale was the lone Liberal in the Saskatchewan legislature for years. What's the difference between Ralph Goodale and a Ferrari? One seat. Um, that was always the joke in the 80s. And then Ralph went on to federal politics, distinguished career. Uh, the liberals virtually died out. And then after the uh, big scandal, after the uh, divine government and the conservatives collapsed, the non-NDP vote all went to the liberals. And then there was a bit of a renaissance for the liberals in the 90s before four of them left the party, joined with four conservatives and then formed the Saskatchewan party. So then the liberals, just like the conservatives, have pretty well faded away. So the liberals changed their name to the Progress Party. And of course, with Justin Trudeau, you couldn't pay voters to vote liberal provincially. So they don't. Next door in Alberta, the NDP, which has emerged uh, over the last 20 years as the opposition to the conservatives, and of course, in that absolutely stunning win... Uh, a few years ago, came from nowhere 
and defeated, you remember Jim Prentice, the uh, premier of Alberta, the conservative premier, Rachel Notley for one term, uh, 2015 to 2019, was the premier. And a lot of people never thought they'd live to see the day when the NDP would govern Alberta. They again only governed it for one term, but the NDP is a pretty vigorous opposition now. Some NDP members believe they should change the party's name because the misconception says one of them that Jagmeet Singh controls Rachel Notley. <laughs> that is a drag on the party's support because the NDP is a party that has a dual membership. By a provincial membership, you are automatically a federal NDP member. So it's one of these things, the parties have that back and forth. Uh, back years and years ago, that was the way it was with the Conservatives and the Liberals, all the big national parties. But of course, there's been a lot of changes. But the NDP here as well in Saskatchewan, uh, when you know, poor Carla Beck says, I've talked to the chief of staff of Jagmeet Singh. No, no, you should be calling Jagmeet Singh because he is the leader of the party you belong to federally. So there is always an association. And in the West, where the federal NDP is seen to be out of touch radically, I mean, you did hear Jagmeet Singh's speech yesterday, where he actually talked about Israel being a state that kills indiscriminately all sorts of people. I mean, he went completely on the Free Palestine page. I mean, he's the only of the federal leaders who's really said where he lives on the Israel-Hamas issue. And he lives on the wrong side of most Canadians and the wrong side of history. So it's tricky. In Alberta, where federal NDP resolutely against pipelines, a lot of economic development involving uh, oil and gas, so a group of NDP loyalists in Alberta is beginning the conversation that maybe they should change the name of Saskatchewan's NDP, or sorry, Alberta's NDP, which is, quote, a consistent barrier to electoral victory being so closely perceived with the feds. Hmm. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Thursdays off to exactly what you were planning. Gosh, look at how many days in a row will we be in these nice uh, single-digit plus temperatures? Uh, some areas uh, as high as uh, 9, 10 degrees. This is the way you like the second half of November. It, well, it's not going to last. <laughs> no, never does. Oh, by the way, uh, The Crown, for those of you who are followers of that hit Netflix series, count me among you. I can't get enough of it. Uh, season six dropped at midnight. So uh, today, 16th of November, uh, the first four episodes of season six are now on Netflix. And a month from now, December the 14th, the remaining six will drop. And those 10 episodes of season six will be the end of The Crown. That'll be it. And I think, I'm just trying to remember last year, season five, this actually will pick up season six is when Princess Di is killed in the car crash. I think that's right in the first episode. And then there's flashbacks of her and the boys. 
uh, the boys and Charles going ahead. It's And when you consider this begins with the childhood of Queen Elizabeth in season one, all the way through, it has been an absolutely magnificent run. 90 years, 90 plus years of uh, the royal family. It's just, and Her Majesty, remember a couple of years before she passed away, uh, was quoted that she had seen advanced copies early on of the crown. Didn't comment what she thought, but apparently people close to her said she loved it. So, good reason. Okay, speaking of Netflix, did you catch, if you're a football fan, you probably did, uh, the documentary Kelsey. And I don't know much about Jason Kelsey, but it's all about him. Center for the Philadelphia Eagles. Very engaging guy. You just watch this documentary and it is difficult. Of course, it's all tilted that way, but it is difficult not to love Jason Kelsey. Of course, brother of Travis Kelsey. Uh, so Jason's the center for the Eagles. Travis, of course, the great tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. And it talks about the launch of their podcast, New Heights. And Jason and Travis do this thing. And it has been, for anybody into football podcasts, they do very, very well. I think they draw up Wednesdays during the NFL season. And it's big stuff. This, of course, is done before Travis becomes exponentially more famous than a Super Bowl winning tight end, the guy dating Taylor Swift. So that's where we find ourselves today. If you watched the Kelsey documentary, uh, they show them in a studio, these three giants, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, and Jordan Melata, all O-linemen, helping record the Eagles' Christmas album last year. And they're pretty good singers. So the second annual Eagles album, a Philly Christmas special, has just dropped. So in Philadelphia, if you're an Eagles fan, everybody's buying this Christmas album because their favorite Eagles receiver, lineman, everybody, everybody sings on it. This year, there is a single on it, which is not just... Jason Kelsey, but his brother, Travis. So the fact that they let a guy from the Kansas City Chiefs who beat them in the Super Bowl last year appear on their album, that showed a lot of class for the Eagles. But a lot of people are talking about this song. It's a, it's a redo of Fairy Tale of New York, the great Pogues Christmas song that does so well. It's called Fairy Tale of Philadelphia. And it's Travis mainly singing, but he's backed up by Jason and the aforementioned Lane Johnson and Jordan Melata. So the big gruff voices that come in, though singing in perfect harmony, are the linemen. But if you've never heard Travis Kelsey sing, he said, in fact, he said it on the podcast, that it sounded better than he thought it sounded in his head when he was singing it. And I think that's always the case. When you sing, particularly if you're not a professional, you think, hmm, well, I think it came out really good. Here's a little bit of Travis Kelsey, backed up by Jason and the other two linemen, Fairy Tale of Philadelphia. They've got cars, biggest bars, they got rivers of gold. Put the windows right through you, no place for the old. When you first took my hand on a cold Christmas Eve, you promised me Broad Street was waiting for me. You were handsome, you were pretty, you're the king of South Philly. When the band finished playing, they howled out for more. 
the leathers were swinging, all the drugs they were singing. We fought on a corner, then danced through the night. The sound of the Silver Ages choir all singing Galway Bay. And the bells were ringing out for Christmas Day. Washed up from the school and rotting away You dirtbag, you phony, you lousy jabroni Happy Christmas, you ass, I pray God is our last The sound of the Silver Ages choir Still singing Galway Bay And the bells were ringing out for Christmas Day So the fairy tale of Philadelphia, Travis Kelsey Backed by Jason and the other two old linemen Lane Johnson and Jordan Maylata of the Philadelphia Eagles Not bad, huh? That Travis Kelsey, I think, might have a career. Okay. Oh, and yes, no producers of Taylor Swift and writers were involved in the production of this Philadelphia Eagles album and the fact that they let the Kansas City Chiefs tight end sing along with them. But uh, that was all good. Okay, coming up, uh, top of the hour, Corey Hirsch is going to be here, a former NHL goaltender, coach, mental health advocate. Uh, Corey's involved in a very interesting mental health wellness project underway. Uh, that's happening next week in Humboldt. We're going to tell you more about that. So a piece in this morning's National Post, which I thought was very clarifying in your thoughts, uh, written by one of the few professors in this country I shouldn't say that. I've got a lot of friends in academe who aren't exactly screaming woke socialists. But certainly these days, most universities are so populated by the rabid woke leftists. Uh, Christopher Dummett is an historian at Trent University, and his specialty is Canadian culture. Dummett writes in this morning's National Post, Oh, look, the progressive left suddenly cares about free speech. And his argument is the very same people who have paralyzed universities run equity, inclusion, diversity programs where you are told that your whiteness, the mere presence of your whiteness may trigger people and you're responsible for that. Now are asking for a nuanced understanding of why they're all waving Palestinian flags and why you, you don't understand that Israel is the aggressor in all of this going on in the war against Hamas. He argues you can't have it both ways. And then he says the hypocrisy is as clear as it is unsurprising. Some of Chris Dummett's piece on how the woke movement is getting a wake-up call on Israel Hamas. Next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Time is uh, ticking away. How many more days? I've got six more shows after today. I, I'm not going to use the R word. I'm stepping aside Friday a week from now, 24th. And then the Evan Bray show launches on the 27th. And so there's a few things I'm kind of doing the, we're talking about it. I want you to think about this in future stuff. So here's a good example. Uh, the Canada pension plan brouhaha between... Alberta and Canada, 
Uh, CPP has $575 billion invested. Invested not by the government anymore. It's an arm's length board called the CPPIB, Canada Pension Plan Investment Board. Pretty good returns. Generally, it's returning 8 9% a year on those invested funds. Alberta, because any province can pull out of this, says because it has higher employment rates, because it has higher contributions, because more Albertans make more money and max out earlier, because it has younger people who live longer, Alberta has historically exceeded the benefits they pay in. So Alberta pays more in than they get back. So Alberta had an actuarial firm, the one that used to be Morneau-Chapelle, hey Bill Morneau, do a detailed assessment. They believe if they pulled out, they'd take $334 billion of the $575 billion. That just doesn't sound right for a province that has 10% of uh, the population. So who knows, or 12% of the population. So it's all going to be done. Here's the look ahead. The Parliamentary Budget Office is doing a study. They were asked by the cabinet, by the minister, uh, Budget Officer Yves Giroux, has written to the federal cabinet saying there is particular significance in this, and he will do an assessment since 1966 to the present, expected uh, sometime next year in 2024. So keep an eye out for that. So then you will get dueling numbers, or maybe not. But that's something you want to keep an eye on. Okay, so I was chatting about to Christopher Dummett in this morning's National Post. Oh, look, the progressive left suddenly cares about free speech. So he talks about the hypocrisy. Let us recall where we've been in the past few years. You remember Lindsay Shepard? Frequent participant in the Gormley Show. The Wilfrid Laurier grad student brought up before a kangaroo court for daring to show her students both sides of a debate on the use of pronouns for transgendered people, one of them being a video of Jordan Peterson. Two sides to an issue in that context was offside. Or how about the nurse, Amy Hamm, who is at this moment on charges of professional misconduct for helping erect a sign in Vancouver that simply said, I heart J.K. Rowling. Or we could think of the so-called progressive academics who have invented a fake idea called residential school denialism. As recently as two months ago, the Minister of Justice said he was contemplating and still may be inserting residential school denialism into the criminal code, which would make criminal asking such impertinent questions as, why have no bodies been uncovered at Kamloops after we were told repeatedly that mass graves had been discovered? Cancel culture was supposed to be just a myth. People aren't canceled. They just suffer consequences for their words. Yet, radical law students and professors at what used to be Ryerson University are upset now that they might suffer for the open letters they've been issuing, contextualizing the terror attacks of October the 7th. Now, this is the institution that threw aside its namesake, Edgerton Ryerson, because he had founded two schools for Indigenous people and was thanked for it by Indigenous groups. It wasn't possible to contextualize this much-beloved historical figure, who killed no one, but contextualizing brutal acts of terror in the 21st century is apparently fine. Over the last few years, 
writes Christopher Dummett, we've been told that words matter. Words are violence. Even silence is violence. And yet now in the wake of the single biggest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, we are asked to understand that opinions can differ and good people can come to alternate conclusions on sensitive topics to which those of us who have been talking about academic freedom and free speech for the past several years can now say, welcome back, illiberal leftists. A lot has happened since you've been gone. What a great piece. Because his point's well taken, and I think most of us who cling to to at least nominal notions of free speech believe that opinions can differ. And good people can take the same facts and sometimes come to completely different conclusions. We're all cool with that. But when you're contextualizing the mass murder of 1,400 people, do all the contextualizing you'd like. But this is where the message to the law students, and it only happened at Ryers or Met, Metropolitan University. It's, it's spreading across Ivy League law schools in the States. So you signed that letter? contextualizing and minimizing it? Okay. I hope you understand our law firm or our agency or our Fortune 500 company would rather not have you employed with us. And oh my goodness, the whinging and whining that's going on. So in many respects, this is where uh, a little bit of accountability is coming in. And that's not a bad thing. All right, top of the hour, uh, we're going to check in with Corey Hirsch. Uh, Mental health reducing or at least trying to eventually eliminate some of the stigmas. We'll talk with him. Uh, He's at uh, a mental health conference Monday uh, this coming week in uh, in, uh, Humboldt. We'll talk more about that. So I'm fascinated, and we got into it a little bit on Bugs Day, the Hour of Rage, when you've got an organization, and by the way, if they ever do change the whole exhibition thing, would you stop with this reel? I've been struggling with this ever since they redubbed it. It used to be called the Regina Exhibition Association, and it still is, legally. But they use the acronym R-E-A-L. So everything's real. You know, it's real, the real board, the real executive. Just, after a while, it just bothers you, because I think we're increasingly seeing, at least on fiscal probity, it's not real. You've got a group here that is running huge deficits. Now they're pleading poverty because they've let infrastructure go. You've actually got leaky roofs at the rink and other places. So annually, they get $1 million. When you look at the payroll of the, I'm not going to say real anymore, the Regina Exhibition Association, $1 million is a drop in the bucket. The rest is supposed to be self-sustaining. But they haven't been able to pay it. They're going in the hole. So 5.6 million in 2020, 5.1 million in 2022, a line of credit that's tapped out. They're in really deep. So now they're asking for five times plus the normal 1 million they'd get from City Hall. They want 5.8 million. In answer, City Council has had MNP come back with a study and they are looking at dissolving the Regina Exhibition Association Limited real quick. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.